The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonalls, or Success Publishing International. Worried about retirement? Want to travel the world or just be around to watch your kids grow up but you can't because you're drowning in debt? Now you can with Heather Wagonhalls and the Keys to Riches powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio. Heather will show you how to stop chasing your wallet, eliminate debt, lose financial stress, and live the life of your dreams. If you truly ever wanted to have more, do more, be and give back more, now's your chance. Listen weekly to hear what others are doing to manage their money better with these proven strategies for building wealth with the Keys to Riches Financial Philosophy. Now, here's your host, Heather Wagonhalls. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Keys to Riches, powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio. This segment is sponsored by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook, download at keys to riches.com forward slash free book, and click on the link to over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome, everyone. I am your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagon Halls, and I am flanked by the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry. Hey, folks. And we will help you get your money mind right on today's show with the following great features. First off, Miguel, the key, por favor. Um, forget the perfection principle. Yes, it is. We are now in our 11th key as we wind down the radio show season. We are in our 11th key. And this is an important one because that higher self, we always want to be reaching but what if the bar is just a bit too high? What if it challenges us? And it usually is a bit too high. Yeah. So how do we fix that? But how do we how do we keep the bar just slightly out of reach so we're constantly stretching? But and in the same token, manage to accomplish what it is, or if we fall short, help ourselves. So this is a unique process of analysis. It kind of goes with what we do with our next key for next week, which is our 12th key, which is what? Oh, practice the three R's. Practicing the three R's, yes. So this is a precursor. (laughs) Practice the piano. I mean, practice the three R's. Yeah, well, for you, you practice the piano. Because that, that, that's, that's your moolah is the piano. But practicing the three R's is ne- the next key. So this is our perfect predecessor uh, to that key because this is going to help set us up for success when it comes to practicing the three R's. So we're going to learn about the uh, four-step process for forgiveness and why this is important in deploying this as a strategy before we get to our practicing the three R's, which is review, revise, and recommit. Because we need this in order to make that successful for the next sure. quarter that we have to plan for. And uh, so we also have a really killer moolah word of the day. And we have an excellent money drama that we tend to fall in to talk about. And it goes hand in hand with this week's key. And that's the inability to move on. We just can't let go. 
So we're going to learn to let go also on today's episode, which is a critical piece of the uh, forgetting the perfection principle. Moolah word. Moolah word. Sounds good. So we have a really cool moolah word today. And again, now we're using Investopedia as our moolah word of the day selection. And I really thought that this was kind of a cool thing. And so it almost kind of reminds me of like a straw man in a way, sort of kind of not really. So a straw man is like when you want to sell to a third party, but for whatever reason, uh, whether um, direct or indirect, legal or illegal, it's not advantageous for the receiving party to buy direct from you. So there's a straw man, somebody that makes a transaction and then they buy from that successive transaction. This is kind of along those lines of a straw man. And uh, today's Moolah word of the day is stalking horse bid. Have you ever heard of a stalking horse? I almost think of like encircling vultures. Not a rocking horse. It's is it similar to a rocking horse? No, it's but but I think of vultures when I think of like when I think of stalking horse bid. I think of vultures encircling. Mm. You know, almost dead prey. You know what I'm saying? The carrion. You know, like the animal's been wounded, but it's not all the way dead because the the vultures won't swoop in until the animal completely dies. So I think of it in that sort of a term. So a stalking horse bid is an initial bid on a bankrupt company's assets from an interested buyer chosen by the bankrupt company. See, so that's where it kind of has the flavor of a straw man. Like, let's say, you know, you want to buy something from me, but for whatever reason, we don't want to be associated. Uh, Whether it's legal or illegal is not the point. So we use somebody in between us to affect the transaction. Somebody else buys it from me, whom then you buy it from. Mm -hmm. So this stocking, that's why it reminds me of that. So from a pool of bidders, the bankrupt company chooses the stocking horse to make the first bid. This method allows the distressed company, which is the one that's filing bankruptcy, to avoid low bids on its assets. So something went sideways. For whatever reason, you're insolvent, okay? Uh, You want to get the most bang for your buck, even though you're having to liquidate, you you don't want to get liquidated for 10 cents on the dollar. So, Mm -hmm. So you look for the stocking horse. Once the stocking horse has made its bid, other potential buyers may submit competing bids for the bankrupt company's assets. In essence, the stocking horse sets the bar so that other bidders can't lowball the purchase price. So they kind of have to kind of go up from there. If you think about it, it's the... Um, it's the threshold or the or the floor, if you will, for the bid. So things only go up from that. Okay. If you think of floor and ceiling, you know, and a, and a price point, um, set of framework, or when we talk in terms of, uh, money comfort zones, you know, the comfort zone has a floor and a ceiling of the financial, like, you know, you like there's, there's a level of purchases that you think that you won't think about that if it's, this much money or under so that that you won't think twice about whether or not you should buy something. You'll just buy it, whether or not you'll use it. And it could be 20 bucks, you know, 50 bucks, a hundred bucks. If something's under a certain price floor, you don't have to consider or weigh the ramifications. Uh, but then if something is over a particular price point, you know, that's higher than your money comfort zone, 
you know, then you have to really think about the transaction. So, so there's this floor and a ceiling of, of what your comfort zone range is. And it's very, it's different from, for everybody. And it's sort of tied to income, but not really, because you can have uber wealthy people that are still cheapskates and you can have people that don't have a pod to piss in, but will still blow the whole wad of cash they have on whatever it is, regardless of consideration of whether or not that that's a prudent financial decision for them, (laughs) you know, so, and they're probably needing some forgiveness and that's probably, you know, so this key kind of works hand in hand with that. But the term originates, let's, if breaking down the stocking horse bid, it originates from a hunter trying to conceal himself behind either a real or a fake horse. So bankruptcy proceedings are open and more information about the potential deal and the purchaser will be disclosed than in a non-public deal. The advantages of a stocking horse bid is the stocking horse bidder is typically given incentives since this is the opening offer for the assets of a company uh, to make it more attractive to play a bid, ex- expense reimbursements, breakup fees, and exclusivity for a certain period of time may be included. Typically, these have to be approved by the bankruptcy court, but a deal is kind of made to kind of hold the value, to keep the value from getting too low, where the, the bankruptcy, the bankrupt company just gets raked over the coals, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's why, so it's trying to, trying to keep that bottom threshold, that, that price floor in place, yeah. you know, as high as possible, even though it's a liquidation sale. So that's the point. The advantage, um, the disadvantage is the first person puts in a great deal of effort and the bidder must perform due diligence, which is more challenging since this is the initial bid and other prices can't be used as a gauge. There's a risk that the stocking horse bid uh, is made public and another party comes in and makes a higher offer uh, using the same due diligence that the initial stocking horse bidder did as a starting point to save time and effort. And negotiating the deal may also take more time since it's the initial offer. And uh, so um, so the other guy, the successive bidders have more of, of uh, an advantage in that sense. What's nice about this is that it falls into a brain bias. So it, what are the shortcuts or heuristics that we take um, when we go to negotiate? And if you think about it, value is subjective. And so the first person to name a value, the other person winds up responding to it. And so considerations in negotiation are made off of that initial offer, whether or not it's realistic. So if you're looking to buy something and you estimate value, you might estimate a value that's higher than what the seller estimates. And so if you throw out a number, the negotiation point starts from that number, whether you go higher or lower from that particular number. So that's why lowballing is critical in the negotiation process. If somebody else throws out a number and you have to respond to it, like somebody says, well, I want, you know, a hundred bucks for this. You're not thinking in terms of the actual value of the product or the value of that product in relation to your desire for it. Now you're thinking about, is it worth a hundred bucks or not? When a hundred bucks might not even be close. It could be like a $30 item. And now you're not thinking about that $30 item. You're thinking about, is this worth a hundred bucks? And you're like, no, I'll Mm. come down to 70. But the piece of crap item is still only worth 30 bucks. But now you're not thinking about where you should be. 
negotiating. You're thinking about where it is. So that's why a stocking right. horse is kind of a critical piece when we think in terms of, because this is a biology-based money management show, I thought mm-hmm. I'd, I'd bring that up. They have an example here. Um, Valent Pharmaceuticals International, International placed a stocking horse bid for certain assets of bankrupt Dendrion. The initial offer was $296 million in cash on January 29th of 2015. However, due to competition from other parties, the offer was raised to about $400 million just a week later. At wow. the bankruptcy hearing, the court formally approved Valen's role as the stocking horse bidder. The company was entitled to receive a breakup fee and expense reimbursement if the bid was unsuccessful. A time limit was given for the parties to submit bids with a deadline of February 10th. 10th and an auction was to be held two days later. Ultimately, later that month, the bankruptcy judge approved the sale to Valen, but for $495 million, wow. although the deal did change to include other assets and had to do with trademark. But, you know, that initial bid makes a difference and it set the price floor and then the price ceiling comes up with the other follow-up better, you know, at uh, the $400 million. But then... As the pot got sweetened for the stocking horse bidder, it wound up going to four ninety five. But that initial number is critical. That initial number is critical, and so so the way that applies to you in your everyday, you know, trials and tribulations. If you are uh, an avid antiquer, and that's what you like to do on the weekends, is go antiquing. You know, the first person that throws out the the number sets the negotiating parameters. Right. If you don't set, so, and, and it works reverse. So I talked in terms of buying it for the 30 bucks. So let's say the product is worth 30 bucks and the guy knows it's worth 30 bucks, but he's thinking maybe you might value it higher. And you say, all right, well, uh, you know, and you throw out the number first as the buyer. So you say, okay, 30 bucks. He knows it's only worth 30 bucks. And he'll say, well, I think I would rather have 40 or 50. Now he's still negotiating against himself because he's negotiating against your original price and not where he could have doubled it up and negotiated back to that. So now he's almost negotiating against himself. So setting that first number is critical. And so a lot of people don't like to throw the first number out. They want to be able to respond to somebody else. But if their number is too high ball, you're still you're going to be responding to that, not its actual value. So sometimes it's good to be first. I've, you know, I've used eBay a couple of times and I've learned my lesson to, you know, not not put out too low a number because if it doesn't get any higher, you've got to sell it at that number. Right. The bidding. If the bidding doesn't get higher. So. Right. So establishing that first value is oh, a critical yeah. piece, critical. you know, depending on what side of the fence you're on, whether you're on the buying side or the selling side, yeah. establishing that number to negotiate is a critical piece. And the brain will automatically focus on evaluating that number and not the true value. And that's what we have to remember. <laughs> You are listening to the Keys to Riches powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio. This segment is sponsored in part by KeepMyID.org, the only service that actually prevents identity theft. All others are just monitoring services. Put your credit on lockdown for Keys to Riches radio listeners by visiting our website at keystoriches.com forward slash KeepMyID and click on the link to start protecting your financial future right now. Remember to use promo code WAGS. 
So now we're here at our key for this week's show. And the uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome to the Keys to Riches powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio. Uh, the Keys to Riches is a baker's dozen of financial concepts that teach you how to think like the rich and be in control of your own money. The Keys to Riches financial philosophy also teaches you how to create or fix your credit, eliminate debt, save and invest, all while transforming your current financial habits into healthy money management skills. And we do this one key at a time, one week at a time here at Keys to Riches Radio. And this week's key is our 11th key, as I stated before. So we are almost through with the 13 keys and wrapping up this season. So hopefully you'll be gaining value from today's show. So let's talk about forgetting the perfection principle. So if you think about how far we've come, for those of you who have been with us the entire season, you are... are at a critical juncture here as we wind up this show and the next show are the last really two big pieces of the puzzle uh, because key 13 is about future pacing your knowledge mm-hmm. so specifically key related stuff it's this week and next week are the last two fundamental pieces and so if you think about where we've come from we've been able to design a goal achievement strategy that exceeds anybody else's because of the quality of the techniques that we use because we do it from a biology based perspective which is the format for the keys to riches financial philosophy as well as our shows this as well as unlock your wealth radio Um, and so we created a goal achievement strategy that is unparalleled in financial planning. We also have addressed our three, five financial strategy, which are the three questions we're supposed to be asking and the five areas of concern we need to address. So we have a knowledge checklist to go with it. Uh, We have learned how to break our budget and how to create a healthy savings and spending plan instead using these other two pieces of the puzzle, addressing our three, five financial strategy and using the techniques and the goal achievement strategy to accomplish that. And then we also learned how to do our biology management, how to maintain physiology and put our impulse control in check using specific techniques uh, from our hope for the best plan for the worst strategy, as well as using the rules of manners, etiquette and good breeding to help us stay on target with our finances by not using seasonal exceptions to destroy the fabulous financial plan we've created for ourselves. And then we've learned about how to evaluate whether or not we are prepared for leveraging ourselves successfully in investing. And now we're here and this is a critical piece of the puzzle. We need to put this in place before we get to our practicing the three R's because that is about review, revise and recommit. So that's about evaluation and moving forward. And one of the things that happens when we get to this key is that we can beat ourselves up about for mistakes. And that's why this key is such a critical piece of the puzzle, because the, the thing that keeps us from moving forward is our limiting beliefs and the mistakes that we have made that reinforce those limiting beliefs. So how do we learn to let go? is essentially what this week's key is about, is learning to let go and focus not on our foibles, but on the progress of the process. That's a critical piece because it's easy to beat ourselves up for the mistakes that we made. And self-flagellation can occur every day, all day long. I mean, I can only tell you how many times I have an oops or make a mistake, but if I judged myself or if the world judged me, By that, 
I would be probably the most unsuccessful person (laughs) ever. But fortunately, we don't judge other people that way. We judge them by their successes. And if we can judge others by our successes, why don't we hold ourselves to the same standard? Well, you know. And why is that? Well, it goes back to our biology because we inherently are designed with a natural negativity bias. We look for the problems. We look for the dangers because it's about survival. It's about survival first. If you think about it in our information processing model with the three amigas, our 3A model of information processing, what we're dealing with essentially, if we boil it down and if you want a full explanation, go visit our bonus show at the beginning of the year where we had an extra week and we talked all about the three amigas model for information processing. And what we really need to be focusing on is the structure in which brain we're using, because essentially anytime we observe something, whether it's something in our environment or a self-generated thought, we go through this process where, uh, or the, these lenses of evaluation. And the first lens is surviving the stimulus. Then we remember things that this stimulus is generating some memories. And then, and only then, after we first survive, then remember, we can think logically and effectively. But if our survival instinct says, "Uh uh-oh, this is dangerous, or "Uh uh-oh, this is excessive pleasure, I must jump in right now, Uh, or maybe we don't get catapulted one way or another by those thoughts towards pleasure away from pain, but perhaps this particular stimulus is reminiscent of a previous event that has some emotion tied to it Mm -hmm. that either makes us go rapidly towards or quickly away from the incoming stimulus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then and only then, if we pass those two tests without sending ourselves in a particular direction one way or the other, then and only then can we be logical about the information being inputted. But it's still colored. That's why I say lenses, because it's still colored by the processing of those two. And both of those have a natural negativity bias. Again, it's about protecting ourselves. It's about avoiding danger or perilous situations. And then and only then can we make a logical decision. So if something comes into our minds that we remember, if you've ever said, when when you see the beginning of something and you say, here we go again. Have you ever done that? Oh, God. And you're already judging it, you're starting to have an engagement. And when that engagement starts, whether it's a survival engagement or a remembrance engagement, and it's emotional, either way that we have now catapulted our hormones and our biological systems into place, that we start triggering these hormones that get released in our body. Now we can't be logical, even if we want to be logical. I mean, there's a humorous aspect to that too. No question. Here we go again. And yeah. You, and you don't want to take that out of the mix. You know, you know, we want to have levity in our lives. If it's levity that's occurring. Yeah. But but as soon as we say here we go again, we're we're already boxing this stimulus and and prepackaging it. Yeah. And so what what does it mean if it's prepackaged? If the stimulus is prepackaged, so is our response. It's been conditioned. Yeah. Whether it's one time or a thousand times. Mm-hmm. You know. So the problem with that, even in the levity situation, is we're going to pick 
the same response we've always picked, as opposed to taking the opportunity in that space between stimulus and response to choose a different course. And that's where we surrender all of our power. If we do not retain that option to choose, it's a surrendering of our power. Yeah, and so, that's a good point. so even even if it's funny, yeah, we're gonna. So it's funny, ha ha. We laugh, and then we're still gonna do the same stinking thing we always did to right. fix it. Whether or not it's appropriate to this situation, we've already mentally boxed it in. So how do we get out of that pattern? And one of those patterns is punishing ourselves for making mistakes, focusing on the mistake instead of elevating our perception to another level where we can now be solution oriented. And so we can focus on the problem and we can beat ourselves up about it and we become famous for that. Or we can chart a new course and change direction. But that requires exercising our power in the space. And one of the things that we have to do is we must forgive ourselves of past transgressions. Because if we're doing this, here we go again, especially in the scenario of addictive spending or any type of addiction, whether it's gambling, drug use, whatever, drinking or shopping, we get into this cycle. We do it. Then we have the regret, like, and we experience that negative emotion. And then we say, we're never going to do it again. And we start punishing ourselves because we did it again. Instead of focusing on another alternative, we focus on the problem. And the pro- the problem with focusing on the problem is it never becomes solution oriented. So we focus on the problem and, and we're going to stay there and we're going to, and, and so, so what you filter for, you find it's a, it's a, an NLP a presupposition, neuro-linguistic programming. So if you're focusing on negative things, you're going to see more negative things. If you focus on positive things, even in negative, you'll find positive things things. And if you don't believe me, just think about the last car you bought. What was the make and model of that car? So um, I think of just, you know, the kids game, Slugbug, right? Do you ever play Slugbug? I never did, no. Okay, but it's it's past your generation, but it's kind of my generation. So Slugbug is a game that occurred with the VW Beetle. Okay. Which I had one. Okay. But so now once you bought one, did you see them more often? You know, it was my. It was literally my car. Okay, so what happens yeah. when we buy a car is now all of a sudden because we own this car, we have an awareness of this car. Now we start seeing other people with this car. Oh look, you know, I always see. Oh, there's another orange Jeep like mine. Mm. Oh look, they got a Jeep like mine. I see more of them. I never saw them before I got one. Yeah, and now I'm seeing them everywhere because it's up on what we call our reticular activating system, that little part of the brain that pays attention to changes in our environment. And it will only pay attention to the changes that you focus on. So if you focus on not controlling your impulse spending, or should I say, I should take away the not, if we focus on our reckless spending, guess what's going to happen? We're going to get more reckless spending because what we focus on expands. Mm. And so instead of focusing on reckless spending, how do we let it go? How do we let it go and how do we retrain our brains to take a different pathway? Well, first, we have to forgive ourselves of the transaction. So that that self-flagellation is the problem. Beating ourselves up about making the mistake doesn't fix the mistake. So what we need to do is we need to look at that mistake and then we need to take the meaning from it, the message. What is this telling me? 
So if I have an impulse spending problem, this is telling me that I am not making effective choices with my money. And, and so how, so the question becomes, this is what I'm doing, not making effective choices. So the answer is in that same sentence. Mm -hmm. How do I make effective choices about my money? So simply to answer that question is I can first look at how much money I have before I make that expenditure. Then I ask myself, is the money I have committed to another expenditure, like my mortgage payment or my rent or my car payment? If so, then this expenditure is not possible. And I can't be reckless if I'm making a conscious effort. But I have to override our biological drives towards pleasure and away from pain. Oh, this fabulous, gorgeous red dress is on sale. And and I wanted it, but I couldn't afford it at full price. But now it's 70% off. And even though it's 70% off, we're focusing on the discount, that 30% is still outside of our reach Mm -hmm. because the money that I want to spend on this dress is equal to my car payment. Mm -hmm. But until I sit there and I take an active look at the process and change my process for making decision-making and I keep focusing on the problem, which is reckless spending, I'm never going to move to correct it. So if you visit our website and you look at and you, and you put in the search bar our four-step forgiveness strategy, you'll be able to learn on how to overcome these biological tendencies to stay trapped in our own poor decision-making and learn how to extract a meaning in the message from our mistakes and move forward by dip but and by ditching all of the emotion and the negativity and and the challenges associated with focusing on the problem. And then we can become solution-oriented creatures and be able to make more effective decisions when it comes to our finances. So again, visit our website at keystoriches.com and uh, put in the search bar the uh, four-step forgiveness strategy so you too can become um, effective at decision-making and letting yourself off the hook when you make a bad decision and know that you can make another successful choice in its place. Thank you so much for stopping by for the Keys to Riches, powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio and the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry. I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2017 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches Financial Wellness Series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com.